Welcome to We're a Life Fiction. I'm Matt James with Conundrum Publishing, international best-selling author of the Jack Riley Adventure series. And today we have Andrew Clausen returning to talk about his Harry Fox Adventures series on a special episode called Series Focus. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back on, my friend. Hey, Matt. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be back. Always look forward oh, to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, as the title of this show suggests, this is going to be a series focus. So uh, basically what that is, is last time we had you on, we talked about everything under the moon as far as Andrew Clausen is related. Uh, some of your personal life, your family, your books, everything else. Um, hobbies, you know, whatever we uh, decided to um, kind of go over. Uh, this is going to be a, a show um, solely focused on Harry Fox. Um, and uh, as we record this on October 28th, um, Achilles Legend has come out today. So uh, that's awesome. Uh, this is a, a, a new concept for me. I'm like, you know what? No, I, I want to talk about like specific stuff on this show as well not just a, a grand overview of the author or the artist or whoever I have on. So um, I kind of thought that this would be a really neat thing to do, especially with the new book out. Why not? Um, so we're going to be talking about your Harry Fox uh, action adventure series, uh, kind of go over uh, book by book, a little bit of the theme of the books, uh, the overall plot of the books, um, the MacGuffins, the relics, the characters, like kind of what went into making each book and um, where maybe some of the ideas came from and, um, how you put them together. Um, I love seeing this kind of stuff. Like the, the whole reason I'm doing this show is because I'm, I'm a movie fanatic and I love seeing the behind the scenes stuff, the making of stuff. Like I love watching the making of Indiana Jones and, and listening to Spielberg and Lucas talk about how they got the stories together. I just think it's so fascinating where things or thing, things come from. Uh, like how Tom Selleck was supposed to be Indy, not Harrison Ford. And I'm like, Magnum P.I.? Weird. <laughs> and then it was supposed to be Tim Matheson. And I'm like, what? No, no. Like Stephen had to like force George to hire Harrison because he had just done Star Wars. So he didn't want him in all of his movies back to back to back. And then when Harrison came in to do the read, he was, he's like, oh yeah, he's perfect. Okay. <laughs> but I'm like, but I wouldn't have known that. I'm like, as an Indiana Jones fanatic, when I heard that, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? And you know, so here we are. And uh, I just like, I like knowing some of this stuff. I just think it, it just adds to the kind of how special it is, in my opinion, because putting these stories together is a special skill. Um, whether it's a movie, whether it's you know, book and whatever. But uh, so here we are. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. You think about Tom Selleck or Indiana Jones with a mustache, and it just throws me for a loop. I love Tom Selleck too. I think he's great. It's just and watching him do the the the, the audition in the hat, you know, mm -hmm. they wrong hat, wrong jacket, but it was just the props that they had at the time. I'm like, weird. Yeah. <laughs> but would we, would we have thought it was weird if we had never known about Harrison Ford about being Indy? No, you know. I, but I just think it's weird, you know, hindsight. But um, so um, we went over this on the the, the first show. Um, but uh, just kind of briefly before we get into the books, just kind of give us a, a brief overview on who Harry Fox is. Sure. Uh, so 
Harry Fox is a Pakistani American who works for the Italian mob. And he's a guy who doesn't really fit in in the world that he lives in. And he's trying to figure it out. Uh, and as he goes, he gets into all kinds of adventures and all sorts of trouble. Uh, there's always, like we talked about, there are the MacGuffins that are chased in each story that we'll go through. But then there's the character development. Uh, it's the character journey as well. So it's about him figuring out who he is, but it's also about a whole lot of fun trying to find some ancient relics across the world. That's cool. Um, so how does he, um, like, how does the uh, the mob fit in? Like, so where, like, I know, um, like, just for, for instance, um, I quite literally told you I wasn't going to talk about myself on this show, but uh, here we are. Uh, <laughs> But like, so like Jack needed, Jack Riley needed a out in order to enter this world. Like he needed a way to enter it. Uh, you know, his backstory was that of a soldier, not of a treasure hunter. So um, I had to fictionally create a government organization that liked him and hired him to be their kind of lead investigator, we'll call it lead operative. Um, so here we are, Jack now has a way to travel. Um, Dak Harper, for instance, with Ernie, Ernest Dempsey, uh, works for a 13-year-old uh, multimillionaire uh, who has like, you know, a brain, of, you know, a genius, and he's a love for artifacts. And and I'm like, wow, that's an interesting way of doing it, and it works perfectly. It's so good. But it's like, but he created that. In this case, like you, you, you had you had to create a way for Harry to even be a part of this world. Mm -hmm. So like, where did that come from? As far as like. I guess, choosing that. So his entree into the world actually is his father. Um, in my stories, and this this is, you find this out right in the very beginning of the very first book. Uh, Harry's dad, his name's Fred. He worked for <clears throat> head of the New York mafia, the Italian mob. Uh, the way that they met is pretty interesting. It was very, very by chance. Uh, they ended up sharing the jail cell together. And then Fred Fox, Harry's dad, saved the head of the New York mob's life. Didn't know who he was, just knew he was an old guy in trouble who needed help. And he saved him. Well, lo and behold, he turns out to be the best benefactor you could ever hope for and hires Fred to work for him. So Harry is bo almost born into this. Uh, there's a gotcha. lot more about that. But he grew up around all the Italian kids, grew up in the mafia life. Uh, his dad chased relics for the mob for decades before Harry got into it after his father was murdered. Okay. All right. No, there, there you go. Great, uh, uh, great entry too. That was, uh, that's cool. How it, uh, happened by chance, but at the same time you're sitting here going, I could kind of see it happening. Like, that's not like, so that's not like far-fetched at all. Like, and that's what I did with Jack is I'm sitting here going, how many clandestine organizations are there in the world? So I'm like, why can't there be one more? And in this case, they are designed to protect history. So I'm yeah. like, you know, why not? That's kind of cool. It's kind of heartwarming too, because I don't, I don't necessarily think anybody really cares about that stuff in today's world. But uh, you know, it's kind of heartwarming to to believe that it could happen. So why not? So, but um, so um, first book in the series, Arthurian Relic. Um, when and how did you kind of start to like, when did it start to percolate that this was going to happen? Like how, how and when, like, like when, what, like we were talking off camera about a new series I'm going to introduce soon. 
Um, not that I'm even remotely ready to talk about it publicly, but uh, um, like you start to get an idea for something and then you kind of realize, holy crap, this is going to work. It's, it's funny. And I haven't, I didn't tell you this when we were chatting earlier, but you had an, a scene in mind. You had something come into your head, just kind of an image or a certain scene mm -hmm. or an image. It was what we were chatting about at the. Yeah. We that. talked about mine and it's yeah. visual and it's like, I have to, I have to write about it. <laughs> it's like. You're compelled. You know, you can't really stop yourself. Yeah. It's just about it. So I had an image in mind of a guy in a dusty bazaar in a city in, you know, Northern Africa somewhere sitting waiting to make a deal about an artifact and it was all going to go south and it's just like man i can really see that i can picture it uh and it just you kind of go from there so you think okay i've got this character and you formulate their background and then you think what would drive this story what do i want to hear about what do i think is really neat and you know fortunately with your jack series and uh, you know there are umpteen gazillion options for hidden treasure or missing missing treasure things like that in the world one of the most well-known is, of course, the legend of King Arthur. Uh, so I thought, hey, you know what? Let's take this Arthurian idea, the you know, the Camelot, the Guinevere, Knights of the Round Table, all that. But let's look at it from a new angle. Let's try and turn it on its head. Uh, and you have to read the book to find out. But that's the, the crux of this story, the idea that maybe King Arthur isn't exactly who we thought he was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Perfect. I mean, that's, and that's what's great about specifically Arthur is there's there's so much unknown about him. Um, like that, we don't even know if he's real. Like honestly, like historically, there's there's still like this disconnect, and we're like, like I I, I like I have like a feeling about certain things, but I like as far as King Arthur, I couldn't tell you. Like I I don't have. You know, I mean, you have you've done a hell of a lot more research than I have on this subject, but I mean, I I I'm not even I'm sure you are like no, I mean, it's possible, but you know, I mean, there's there's still so um, so much unknown, you know, yeah. And you'd think that there would be more like grounded history surrounding him if he was real, but there's plenty of things out there. Like, how does how does uh um. Uh, what am I trying to think of? Like, like just the, the ancient seven wonders of the world. Like, there's like historical record of them being there, but there's no like, there's hardly any evidence, like physical evidence of them being here anymore. It's just right. almost like hearsay nowadays, you know? So it, it's the Colossus of Rhodes. That's what I was thinking of. How do you lose a Colossus? You know, so what I mean? You know what I mean? And there's no record. Like, they think that it was torn down and then melted down and sold, like the metals and whatever, because they were valuable. But I'm like, there's no evidence. It, they think it happened. I'm like, how does something like that just disappear? And there's no like 100% this is what happened. And that's just ancient history, you know? It's it's very, it's very wild that you say that. That's a great, great example, the seven wonders of the ancient world. So specifically for this Arthurian idea, this, this MacGuffin of sorts, it, King Arthur first came to being in Geoffrey of Monmouth's book, The History of the Kings of Britain. And that was written you know, around the turn of the millennium, a little later. Uh, and this is all kind of touched upon in the story because like you, I like to blend fact with fiction. It's like, if you can't tell mm -hmm. as a reason where those merge, then we're doing our job. So yeah. the book was written uh, by Geoffrey of Monmouth. He was a Welsh cleric and it was taken as fact 
for a long time, for centuries. People thought, oh, King Arthur, he existed. He is this folk hero in Great Britain. He's this idealistic king that led us through the Dark Ages. <clears throat> centuries, people really believed it was factual. And then they started, because Monmouth, for all we know, he thought it was factual too. He got, you know, it was mostly oral records at that time, you know, stories passed yeah. down from generation to generation. So this held on for a long, long time until eventually, you know, some more inquisitive minds began to debunk the story or poke holes in it. And then it turns out you can drive a bus through those holes. So, and there are a lot more questions than answers, which, if anything, only contributed to the legend growing. Yeah, yeah, because you want to know where those uh, those verbal accounts came from. Like, what was the guy like smoking peyote when he told him, <laughs> or was there actual relevance to what he was saying? You know, and was there truth behind it? Because I'm like, I mean, I, I can't remember the mantra, but you know, there's there's a sliver of truth behind all legends or something. What it is, like, it's not a 100 like a like space operas, you know, where you have to create everything from nothing, like the, the world. Uh, that's why I don't do it. Um, but it's like, there, there's, it still has to originate from some idea or from some fact or some story. So it's like, even if it is completely crazy, it had to, have, there had to have been a origin of, of that story, you know? And why not try to figure it out as the, as the writer? You know, That's exactly right. I mean, you dive into it. And then so the next question everybody asks, or at least that I would ask is, well, what really happened? So in the story, we look into, OK, who could Arthur really have been? And there are a couple of historical figures who are real that are identified as prime potential examples. Well, when you're you're writing your story and you can make up anything you want, you can pick the person that, you know, there is some evidence that this may be a real person. And then you can say, what if? And then you write that what if, and that's where your story really comes to life. Cool, cool. Yeah, I have a, one of many ideas for a series. And uh, we, we've talked about it through Messenger and text and stuff for a series that I'm, not my next new series, but it would be the new, the new series after my new series. It's like, the, the stories never stop. And uh, uh, I'm going to be dipping, well, in that series, I would be, it's going to be a trilogy, I think, but uh, I will be dipping my toes into the um, the Arthurian legends a little bit because honestly, I've never I've never written about them, um, and um, for no other reason that it just didn't fit into anything I was currently writing. And um, I had an idea to do something just kind of basic about like Excalibur, and I'm like, oh, that'd be fun. But I'm like, like in my head, can I see Jack going after Excalibur? And I'm like not like with what I'm currently slated to write with him, not really. So I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't mean it has to be Jack. I'm like, maybe I could figure out something else, change the character, change, you know, uh, the overall theme of the story a little more. It doesn't have to be a quote, Jack Riley book. It can just be a separate thing from in a separate universe. So why not? And, you know, that's the great thing about all these stories is figure out one way or another to, to write it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, but, you can uh, make yeah. You know, like yeah. you, you can focus on any aspect of any legend, maybe Excalibur. What is Excalibur? Is it a sword? In history it is, but is that really what it needs to be for the purposes of our adventure? I don't know. So we want to talk about Guinevere, Lancelot, the Round Table, Merlin, you know, pick anything. So it, yeah, it's I always like the idea of Merlin. I've mentioned him in um, 
uh, Anubis Plague. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that one. I think that was the book I mentioned him in recently. <laughs> trying to remember. I'm I, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. I can't I can't remember a book I wrote a few months ago. Um, in that, like years ago. So why did the Salem witch trials? Why did all these people that were supposedly witch witches get burned? Um, a lot of it is just not Salem in general, but in that idea is. Um, science wasn't always science science used to be seen as supernatural and witchcraft and like evil and um it can create evil but uh it, as far as in 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 the outlook of the ancient people um science would have been seen as like godly supernatural so um merlin in my eyes is just a scientist ahead of his time you know if he was in fact a real person um, Anubis in the Anubis plague is a very smart, learned person, uh, in ancient Egypt, um, who basically resembles a God because of his knowledge of certain things. Um, and you know, like it, you can go through history and see these like evolutions and like these, these groundbreaking people, um, as, you know, the generations move and uh, now they're just like the Elon Musk's of the world, right? Henry Ford. Like there's just, there's certain people, um, those are just the two that come to mind that like begin a new industrial, almost like not industrial, but like thought provoking revolution. And they're just titans of their time. And for no other, for no other reason that they were just born with it, I guess. But uh, you know, and that, that's like my, like thought process with a guy like Merlin is I'm like, is he a magician or is he just a scientist? And everybody thinks he's magical. Yeah, that's it. So if you cool. want to break it down to like reality, he's a, he's a scientist. Is that Arthur? You know? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, that's exactly it. And, and it's, it's right. I mean, it, it's absolutely right. You know, like, were, were we talking about, like, I mean, just just modern technology nowadays, you know, and now, like, nanobots are becoming a thing. Like, there's, like, certain things where you're like, ah, science And now you're like, oh. <laughs> Give humans enough time and they'll figure out to make it work. And they'd be like, our phones, exactly. Yeah, like, uh, from, uh, what was it, from um, Jumanji, <laughs> from Welcome to the Jungle. Uh <laughs> Nick Jonas's character, Alex, he's been in the game for 20 years and, yeah. he, and, uh, Jack Black, who's Bethany, uh, Jack Black's like, I really need my phone. And, and he's just like, this phone mean the same thing in the future that it did when I was younger. It's like, it's just like that leap in technology and that leap in, uh, uh, I guess reality. Um, who would have thought, right. But, um, so, uh, um, moving on within Harry's uh, series, uh, book two, we have is, uh, the Emerald Tablet. Um, revolving around like Circes and uh, a lot of like the Persian uh, history and stuff. Um, tell me a little bit about that one. So this is the one of the series that is really interesting because I knew very little about the Emerald Tablet when I started writing this. Uh, just as a brief bit of background, the Emerald Tablet doesn't really exist. It's more of an idea. And the idea it represents yep. is that it's an, ins an inspiration for scientists and charlatans who are looking to turn base metals into gold, uh, alchemists. 
So it's also known as the philosopher's, you know, the philosopher's stone, depending on what version of the legend that you're talking about. Uh, nobody's ever seen Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis. You'll know. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I remember? <laughs> yeah, that was the basis of that movie was turning metal into gold. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's, it's, I can't not mention Hudson Hawk on a show. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's it's just it's uh, fertile ground. You know, so the idea behind this is for the purposes of my story, it's like, okay, this isn't a really a kind of a nebulous idea. And then I incorporated uh, King Xerxes, who, you know, people, everybody knows him from movie 300, um, mm -hmm. when uh, um, the Spartans made their, their famed last stand and saved Western civilization as we know it, you know, that whole stuff. Uh, ever... Th Thermopylae? Yeah, 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 the Battle of Thermopylae, correct, yes. Yeah, that was Battle of Thermopylae, yeah. He took his shirt off and put on his tidy whities and fought that huge giant yeah. guy, Xerxes, in the movie. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of, the, and I, I looped that in there because around the time of uh, Xerxes, there was an idea that perhaps they had some interactions with Greek culture, and, uh, you know, so I said, well, what if that really happened? Even though there's thousands of miles of distance, there are some characters involved here. King Xerxes is kind of the main background sort of antagonist. Uh, and then there are some other individuals from Greek culture um, who may or may not have met him. And the idea that I generated was this involved the Emerald Tablet, the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, so the Emerald Tablet being typically geared toward alchemists, to your point, which is a great segue, I had the idea, what if it wasn't necessarily knowledge of how to make yourself rich, but how to do something else, a different sort of knowledge. Whereas you were just talking about something that may appear to be magic, but is really just in fact science ahead of its time. Sure, sure. No, yeah, I mean, that's that's great. I mean, that's, I, man, uh, there's so many examples of stuff like that, that I wish, like there's, there's books that I've seen written and that I've read or at least read parts of where there's, it's an easy way, it's an easy out. And the easy out is like aliens or like Atlantean culture, which I've done, I've done. And it's fun to write about. But it's like, why can't it be just knowledge? Why can't it just be like when the Rosetta Stone was found? Or, you know, why can't it be, you know, stuff like this, where it's just an innate knowledge that we just haven't had. Like I have an idea for a Zara Kane story revolving around the Ark of the Covenant that is going to be completely and utterly ridiculous, but very thought provoking. Um, and I'll tell you off camera. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't give it <laughs> because I'm <laughs> so yeah, Zara came too. Uh, maybe later this year. I don't know, but uh, nice. we'll, we'll, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so, but it's going to be something that is more um, knowledge and like thought related, not necessarily like your typical, like easy MacGuffin where it's just like, you can see it from a mile away and yeah, doesn't really have as much force when it slaps you in the face. Like, I don't want that, you know? So I'm like, I want to write about the Ark of the Covenant. I want to include Zara because that, that feels like more of her story than a Jack story. And, um, but my favorite movie of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. So 
<laughs> I know a lot about the Ark of the Covenant as far as like media, and it's like it's been beat to death by media. So I need to make it truly original, and, and the idea that I have, I feel, is going to be like that. So here we are. You know, we were kind of talking about this earlier. You know, what's pretty cool is that you can use that. It doesn't always have to be treasure that you can hold. It can be mm -hmm. about character's journey. And this is something we were chatting about. It's like it can be about the character's journey. Not the MacGuffin doesn't have to be a hoard of gold or the golden idol or whatever it is, the Ark of the Covenant. The character can go on a journey and take the reader with them. And if we as readers can picture ourselves in some small way as being beside them on that journey or part of that journey, then it can be even more effective as in a discovery of wealth of the intellectual sort, you know, more of a cerebral. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, you, you know, like Jack, first book giant treasure so okay cool second book theoretically no treasure you know but valuable experience cultural significance he just hunted for shangri-la shangri-la isn't an item that you can put in your pocket you know what i mean so it's like but to me that was the most daunting mission yet because of just the significance of it all and what it meant and like the underlying parts of the book that make it cool, not just Shangri-La itself, but, um, or at least, you know, my version of it, but it's like, like you said, it's, it's the travel, it's the adventure. It's, it's, it's the, you know, the, 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 the seat gripping, you know, suspense. It's, it's not just an item of value. And that's why I don't like to label people as treasure hunters. A lot of the time it's because a treasure hunter has a very specific job. Um, and it's like, if he's a treasure hunter, like Jack's not a treasure hunter, like Harry's not a treasure hunter, like he is, but he's not, he's, he's, he's an investigator. He's a, he's a, he's a, um, intrepid adventurer. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's like pigeonholing as an, a treasure hunter can sometimes get your character in trouble because when there is no treasure, <laughs> like physical treasure, uh, even though what they found, like to me, everything that Jack found in book four was massively more important to the world than what he found in book one but monetary value you think i'm crazy you know so what is what is value for for people who haven't read your jack riley series yet i think you set that up very well from the very beginning of book one because it becomes clear that the guy we're working with based on the the inciting incident and i don't want to give anything away you're fighting for an idea of what an idea of this is as much good versus evil as treasure because of when it all starts to go south and which is what brings him into the story. I think that, and I, again, I don't want to say anything to spoil it, but you know, that really sets the stage for, yeah, this guy might be going after physical objects, but there's a lot more at play here to him. And that gives them the depth as a character yeah. to the ride. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's my inner Indiana Jones coming out. I mean, it honestly is that's, that's indie fighting the Nazis. You know, he's going after the Holy Grail. He's going after the Ark of the Covenant. But what he's really doing is he's trying to stop evil. And, and um, you know, it's like it's that's in my world, you know, at least in my opinion, in my world, meaning my head, I guess. Um, like that's the perfect hero in my in my instances. Uh, good versus evil. But there's all be obviously needs to be something um, a, a relic or, or, or something of something physical as well that isn't just because um, either than that, it's just a boxing match. You know what I mean? There, there needs to be something else. 
And uh, but the base element is is you know well the base element is is adventure, uh, you know the world travel and stuff like that. You know like getting from point A to point B and what happens in between. But um, yeah, as, as far as like you know including that villain, it's it's just it's important to me. It just is. But um, no, so yeah, um, so he's so he, he's going after um, in this case the Emerald Tablet. So specifically that, like how much of the um, the other versions of it, because um, I know you said like the Philosopher's Stone and stuff like that, but um, how, how much are the other versions of that, um, like how much research did you honestly have to do with a lot of that? Because I personally haven't really looked into a lot of that. I'm going to be for this um, Zarkin book I want to write uh, just because it's it's necessary, but um, it'll just help. But I mean, like in this case, like like how deep down that rabbit hole did it force you? So it was more of a, that's a good question. It's more of a broad research that I conducted than the narrow straight into it, learn everything I can, because there were so many different definitions for what it could be. Getting that understanding sure. where it could be in terms of, this is some sort of knowledge, some sort of leap forward that has been found, but is now lost. That was the driving factor behind it. And then, you know, I had the malleability to be made into what I wanted it to be. And I'm sure I know you do this too. We've talked about this as you're going along with creating your story. It kind of talks to you as much as you talk to it and create it. And it helps you understand where can we go. And that aligns with the character journey that happens as well. So specifically for the Emerald Tablet, I decided early on that there was going to be some knowledge here that was lost, that was once known. Uh, you go on a journey from this existed at the time of King Xerxes and what happened to it? So it takes Harry on a journey around, you know, around the world. Uh, he ends up going to the Achaemenid empire, which Xerxes oversaw. Uh, and that's in modern day Iran, you know, and many other countries, but that's the kind of the epicenter of a town called Persepolis. Uh, and it gets into what did we lose and why did we lose it? Because a powerful item or a powerful piece of knowledge, you typically don't lose those. You hang on to them unless there's a reason they shouldn't be found. So it's an exploration yep. of why something happened as much as what one. Yeah, and that's 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 like the the center of um, Raiders, for instance, right? Is you know when they they hid the ark, you know, in Tannis, um, they hid it away because of what it truly was which was like the power of god and i mean we saw what happened it melts people so <laughs> melts the unworthy you know i guess but uh yeah no and 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 you know sometimes for the sole fact that like sometimes it's just like I, i've read where it's it's just a collector that's greedy and wants it for himself or uh can make a buck selling it or in this case it's so devastatingly powerful that uh it needs to be out of the limelight and needs to be away from modern man who would of course want to use it as a weapon because uh, yeah. that's just that's who we are we are a destructive species what, what can i say we are who we are you know but um go moving on um celtic quest uh i love stuff like this like just anything that has to do with like uh really any of that area it's not just the celtic stuff it's also like the norse stuff it, it, it's everything it's just i love that i guess it's the time frame i just really love that like era of history so it, in this case you're you're going um celtic lean is involved 
Um, what is what is kind of the um, I guess the backstory of the Celtic Quest? So this isn't actually inspired by an object. Uh, the, the focus here is a woman called Queen Boudicca, and she was the queen of the Iceni, which were Britonic people who were ruled by Rome at the beginning of the, around the time of Christ, and they didn't want to be ruled by Romans. So factual background to this, Boudicca's husband was the king of this Iceni tribe, of people. So imagine at the beginning of Gladiator when you know General Maximus is leading his people against the the heathens, the the Britons, you know, the the people that they are at the but the people with the gates, you know, they have to keep them away. These are Britons. Now that's a terribly one-sided portrayal of them, you know, those people that the Romans are fighting. But it's that time period that I yeah. hear. Sure. Yeah. is all true. Boudicca's husband was killed. She was treated horribly. I mean, it's all, you can read it on Wikipedia if you want. It's awful for her. But she didn't take it lying down. She wanted revenge. She had a, a fire lit under her to destroy Rome. Well, Boudicca led her people in an uprising and actually twice defeated Roman legions, which was unheard of in that time. Emperor Nero brought his two mightiest legions to Britain to subdue this upstart queen and she eventually got destroyed unfortunately but i thought how could a pagan queen defeat the mightiest force on earth how could that happen and she almost beat them a third time now by all accounts they were eventually slaughtered of course they were but she didn't lose twice so it's an exploration of what what could have made her do that? How could she have done that? Because no one really knows. It doesn't make sense. You have these, you know, these guys with loincloths and spears and rusty old armor that they took off the Romans they killed. And they're battling the greatest fighting force the world has ever seen. And they're winning. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and again, that's just what we do is it's the what if, right? It's like, you know, why? And if there is no why, or well, maybe I can create a why. You know, it's like, hey, you know, that's that, that's kind of cool. And it's, but um, where, um, yeah, go ahead. So, and it also, it, it's, it takes an opportunity. You said you really like the, um, you know, Britonic history at that time. I think it's fascinating as well. Uh, the Celts and all the tribes that eventually became, you know, England later on. Uh, it, it goes through time-specific relics which are still around like there's uh, something called the roll right stones there are these stones that are grave markers they think they're not really sure they serve some sort of purpose and it touches on these existing artifacts or these existing historical sites that you could go see today if you wanted to and weaves a tale as to how it all ties into Boudicca's near victory over Rome oh, that's cool yeah there's um if you haven't read it, you should. There's a book called The Lock from Steve Alton, um, who's famous for the Meg, you know, Meg. Um, so he writes a book called uh, The Lock, and it deals with um, Celtic history in Scotland and um, the descendant of William Wallace, uh, Zachary Wallace, uh, who is, um, he's just, uh, he's a doctor, I think. It's been a while since I've read it. He is in the medical field of some sort. I can't remember. But um, it deals with... Um, the William Wallace bloodline, it deals with the Loch Ness Monster, um, which is an ingenious way of uh, bringing out the Loch Ness Monster. 
uh, as far as why it exists. It, does it have a purpose or is it just a ravenous monster? Um, or <laughs> is it both? Uh, but it's, it's the history of that country in that region um, baked into a classic monster tale. And it is so freaking good. Um, I definitely would recommend that, especially for someone that likes this stuff like, uh, like you, if you haven't, if you haven't read it or anybody. Um, when I read that, I, it was the first um, block book that I read that I was like floored with when it wasn't like, like too hokey, like too like, oh, it's a plesiosaur, you know, it's a dinosaur. It's like, no, this is like terrifying and maybe sort of kind of possible. Like he goes through like, basically if a creature was in the lock, why is it in the lock? How did it get there? What would happen if something's been in the lock that long? Like what happens, uh, you know, uh, physiologically, uh, you know, like what happens psych psychotically to, to a creature that's trapped or, or, or a species or whatever, like there's like more to it than, but then it, it weaves in all of this great history. And, um, I was like, wow, this is like the, it's one of those things we've talked about where it's like the depth of research and the depth of knowledge is very apparent. Um, it's like, there's all the stones have been turned over twice. There, there's nothing missing. And you're just like, uh, this is cool. And then of course you get a lot of like Scottish, lingo where like he writes it in like the local scotch dialect and it's like the highland scottish and you're like like i couldn't even like impersonate it right now utterly you know and you're just like oh it's great oh he's going for it like like there's lots of like <laughs> within the letters and you're like oh they uh okay got it got it but it just makes it it makes it very authentic uh i wouldn't have gone that far because i, I would have confused myself just writing it but uh it, it just it, it's a good book you know it's a really good book um definitely recommend that but um so um all right so this is the day today have um for those listening they won't be listening today anyway so it's kind of doesn't really matter but as of today uh, Achilles legend is out. Um, Roman history. Love it. I love this stuff. Greek and Roman history. It's so cool. Uh, tell us, uh, Achilles legend. What do you want to tell us about it? Uh, so this one's much more of people are familiar. Everybody knows Achilles. Um, he, you know, he was gr the greatest Greek warrior of all in the Iliad. Um, if you've seen Troy, which I know a lot of people pan that movie. I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, with the one with Brad Pitt, Eric Bana, Orlando Bloom. So Achilles is, he's, the, he's this Greek warrior, uh, mythical warrior, of course, and from the Iliad. And my story, this is much more of a traditional MacGuffin, um, setting aside the character journeys for the moment. It's about exploring the legend of Achilles, but looking at it as though, what if there was still something around today that ties to it, and what could that do to change the world because you know that an idea can be the most powerful force on earth you know the pen is mightier than the sword all that what if you had something that could inspire an idea that would change the world how dangerous could that be and what would people do to get it? so that's the idea uh hitler was pretty damn close to doing that so i get it you know you know you know yeah an idea just an idea and a thought kid kill millions of people and flip the earth on its head. So yeah, 
and it uh, kind of runs through runs the gamut of you know Greek mythology. And there are a lot of the myth-based occurrences on the journey that take you along on a ride that you're at Achilles' shoulder and you're learning about. Maybe he maybe he did exist, and it, it ties into the yes, there's this myth about Achilles now, but there's always a kernel of truth at those, as you said. And what could that be, and how could it still resonate today? So you learn a lot about Greek mythology with that, which I think is super entertaining, um, and it just it's it's really a lot of fun. Uh, what what are those? And you got to help me out here. What are those movies on that the they battle the Medusa? Um, the the guy I forget his name. Oh, Jason and the Argonauts. Yes, so that one. Uh, and, Ray, the the Ray Harryhausen movies. The Ray Harryhausen Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Um, that's yeah. Clash of the Titans. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Ideas yeah, of that. Are, taking <laughs> great movies. Portal plane yeah. here, not in with the gods on Mount Olympus. So, which Mount Olympus? I didn't actually know. Or uh, Hercules. Yeah, the uh, the Hercules animated movie from Disney. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a it's a fun ride through Greek history, um, specifically the mythology, and it ties into you know the what ifs that we all love about if it's around. Yeah, that's uh, that's um, that's I fell in love with the Percy Jackson series. So I mean, I get it <laughs> from Rick Riordan. I mean, that's Percy Jackson in the Olympians. I mean, that, that entire series is baked around Greek mythology, and then later Roman mythology is is uh, brought in. But uh, yeah, it's it's just it it's a great era of history and mythology, um, and it it you could go anywhere with stuff like that. And that's what's so cool about it is because it's so dense and it's so widespread. And I guess that's that's the cool thing about a culture like that is because they were so influential and they were so big and massive and that they have like, it, you know, some of the smaller cultures around the world are great, but they're so limited with their like reach and their depth as far as, you know, their their I guess their belief system. But, uh, you know, in, in this case, the Greeks, I mean, they're they were the biggest ever. So, I mean, I guess maybe besides Genghis Khan. But I mean, they you know, at the time, I mean, they were they were they were it. <laughs> they were they were the guys. So, I mean, you, and you make a good point. You took referenced uh, Shangri-La earlier in one of your Jack Riley stories. These are, mm -hmm. these are stories. These are legends that resonate with everyone around the world. Um, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't heard Shangri-La or hasn't heard the Ark of the Covenant or Achilles. So it's, everybody has their own take on it, their own familiarity. And it's an opportunity to explore that legend from another perspective while staying rooted in the, the shared knowledge that we have. So. It's oh well. yeah, yeah. I mean that idea. That idea. Yeah, the idea for Shangri-La came from you know, Uncharted Two, or Uncharted. Yeah, Uncharted Two. Um, you know, uh, among thieves, and it's just like going after Shambhala, uh, and just what most people think is the uh, is is the um, source for the Shangri-La myth. Uh, but it, it's I saw I played that game a million times and watched the cutscene movies of that game a million times and just absolutely loved like the idea of it. And I'm like, they took it on a completely different uh, way or um, path, which was great because that's what I tried to do. But uh, just the idea and, and being able to, and honestly being able to see the original story behind an idea that is not original in fiction. So being able to see an original story based on Shangri-La from a big media source like Naughty Dog, um, I was, 
impressed as hell with as good as it was and how original it was. Like there was, as I'm playing it, there's, there's nothing about that that I could have like told you was coming. And uh, that's, that's just great writing. So, I mean, I, I get it. Ark of the Covenant, we were talking about the same thing. You know, Shangri-La, another one is Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Um, a very, very underrated action adventure movie uh, with Jude Law and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, phenomenal movie. And uh, um, Giovanni Ribisi in it as well, who's a great character actor sometimes. But uh, uh, another one based around Shangri-La, really great original idea. Um, and... Uh, so there's, there's, I guess my point is there's so many great examples of old ideas being turned into new stories. Mm -hmm. And Greek mythology is a perfect example. Oh yeah. But, uh, no, so, um, you know, I'm really excited for this book for you. Um, it, it, I know you, you've had it on, you've had it on pre-order for a little bit, getting ready for the release. Uh, I'm really anxious to see how it does. Um, I know I, I personally think it's going to do great. I think you're going to do really well with it. Um, and then, um, before we get out of here real quick, because I know you you just put this up for pre-order a couple weeks ago, is um, The Pagan Hammer. Uh, so it'll be the fifth edition into your Harry Fox series. Um, not a lot of information online about it, which is great because, you know, we're, we're focusing on Achilles right now. But um, just obviously the cover is pretty evident that it's going to be revolving around uh, Mjolnir or in this case, maybe where Mjolnir came from as far as the idea of it. But uh, can you just give us a, a touch of uh, what the Pagan Hammer will be uh, be about? Sure, yeah, this, uh, I would say an overarching focus would be we're looking at Viking culture here. And um, the idea, you know, obviously with Thor's hammer on the front, uh, the lightning bolt, it's all associated with their uh, Norse mythology. So it all starts out with two Viking drinking horns and a story that they tell. Uh, and it eventually leads us down a path of who are the Vikings? Where did they come from? And what could they possibly have brought with them? So it's uh, it starts with two brothers who were, and it's actually rooted in history. King Alaric, I think Alaric is how you say it. He sacked Rome in 409 or 410 AD. Uh, he was the king of the Visigoths. And he had a brother, Atoll, who eventually became king when Alaric died. And these two brothers could have formed the beginnings of the Viking culture as we know it. So it's it's a it's a real race through history to learn as much as we can about Vikings and maybe what happened. So more to come on that. Cool, cool. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I did a deep dive into Viking culture with uh, Berserk, with uh, Dane Matic Adventure I did with David Wood a few years ago. And uh, that was my first uh, foray into um, Norse mythology and stuff. And uh, I loved it. Uh, I went um, very, very sci-fi alien with it. Um, because of like the uh, like the powers and like the, the I guess the magic behind it, it technology that was of Earth, uh, and I, I kind of thought that was like an interesting way of going about it. But mine was focusing on uh, the Spear of Odin uh, more, as far as like the artifact and um, the power it had over humans, and um, kind of brought out the uh, savage side of human beings, um, which I also tongue-in-cheek because we are <laughs> so like and be like well you know but because it's alien and human dna and stuff uh it wasn't designed to do that it's just that's what it did to our species when come in contact with it and when it's used as a weapon 
you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like an interesting idea to kind of be like, okay, well, Odin's berserkers, what are the berserkers? So then you go into, you know, your research rabbit hole and talk about berserkers and Odin. So you talk about Odin or you research Odin and then relics and then you start, and then here we are. We have alien berserkers in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing what you can come up with with just you know uh slightly adhd mind so <laughs> great stories that's for sure oh yeah no absolutely absolutely but um well awesome my friend thank you for coming on um congratulations on the new release um you know me i'll be tracking online like i do with a lot of guys i'm just i'm always just tickled to see you know uh, good people good authors um, have some success i really do enjoy watching it from afar. Um, but um, so obviously besides Achilles, besides Pagan Hammer, um, what else do you have going on right now? Anything uh, anything you can talk about as far as work related, obviously? Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so the initial, there will be, I've plotted out the next one in the Harry Fox series. Uh, that will bring conclusion to a character arc that has been open since book one. Uh, it won't be the end of the series, but it's going to bring some resolution to something people have been wondering about for a long time in there. Uh, and then beyond that, so we were chatting about this offline earlier, uh, there is going to be some cross-pollination with another series I have, the Parker Chase series. Uh, the this Part of what I think builds a successful story is to have a, a vast array of characters at your disposal, interesting characters. So we're going to see some folks from my partner series make their way into Harry's world uh, with interesting consequences, we'll say. So that's coming down the road. Interesting. Interesting. Is So will that be a separate series or is that going to be in like the Harry Fox like series? It'll be in the Harry Fox world. And then we're also going to have more partner chase books where Harry and his friends make an appearance. Sometimes they'll get along, sometimes they gotcha, won't. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I plan on doing with um, Jack and Zara, uh, some of the characters. Um, I want to have, like, uh, side stories that involve them and, like, like, now their introduction into Jack's world, but not necessarily with Jack. It'll just be that character, but it'll be their like another maybe another agent within jack's company that he works for and like their mission on their end and it's also stories within history and stuff that i want to tell but they don't really resonate with or they don't suit jack so it's like well how do i tell them and i'm like what if it's just someone within tac with the tactical archaeological command back's you know the outfit he works for um it's not a twister to say out loud by any means um but uh you know what uh that's why, that's why it's tack that's why acronyms tac done but uh that's i want to tell some stories that just aren't either aren't dense enough for a jack riley story so it could be a little bit of like a short novel and it, it'll just kind of bring in hey it'll just be another story for the readers but it'll also be a a, a character that they've uh that they're familiar with and comfortable with so why not you know i mean because you know jack kind of has like a specific kind of thing going on and um i don't necessarily want to introduce like a side story featuring jack i want jack to have his main main series and then introduce maybe some side stories on some b characters that may or may not 
I have planned to show up later because some of them, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'm not just going to like, Hey, here's a buddy that you haven't seen in a while. You know, like I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's like, but if that buddy has something going on, that's interesting. I could just write about it from, from his perspective and it not necessarily be a Jack story. So, I mean, you have a great I, I mean, inevitably they're going to cross paths at some point. Yeah. And, um, the, the czar connection with that was, uh, um, I learned from Jack, um, like when I first started writing Anubis Plague, I was like, well, this is going to be serious, which is the plan. And it's going to be a world travel action adventure series. I need to know from the get go, like how Zara is going to have a book too. Cause like, like Jack, I figured out as I was writing how he was going to get involved in this world. Um, and then, because the, the ending of book one didn't lend to uh, him being hired on to tech, um, the ending of book two did. So in this case, I kind of wanted Zara to have that out I was talking about um, to get into this world versus the world she's currently in. And uh, so that was planned from day one, um, the ending of that book. And uh, as far as the actual ending, that was kind of something I pitched to Nick. And I'm like... I mean, it, it deals directly with my Jack Riley series, but at the same time, it's plausible because it he works for an organization, not like Jack. Like Jack is a self-employed guy. He works for somebody that has the reach. Um, so why not potentially introduce another character to that outfit and give her the same, um, the same uh, resources? So... Uh, here we are. And um, it, 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 Jack, like I said, I learned from Jack. I learned from the Jack story in order to start with this story and go, all right, from, from day one, how is she going to continue on to this? Because it can't just be luck. It can't just be like, like Indy has a job. Indy, Indy is a professor, but he also goes after these antiquities to sell, then sell back to the museum. So he, he has like an employer, he has like an end game with each mission um, to a degree. But, uh, you know, and in this case, I needed that end game at the end of, you know, at the end of every story, I needed a reason for him to go on to the next one. And I needed that for her as well. And, um, you know, like I said, here we are. But, um, you know, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see um, where both series in this case go, but the Harry Fox series. And um, we'll definitely have you again down the road. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm really excited to do these series focused episodes um and be able to really get a little bit deeper into the stories not necessarily just talk about the overview of the series but in this case we went through book by book and kind of went through deeper into each story um because anybody watching and listening to this uh especially an aspiring writer or an established writer i have a lot of writer friends that listen to this because they they're kind of the same as me they just really like to talk about it uh and they like to hear about it but there's just not a lot of avenues for that to happen and um it, it, it can inspire somebody and you know if somebody listens to this and is inspired by one of your books or is inspired by one of my books i mean that's that's enough i mean that's cool because i was inspired by somebody and now i'm a writer and you were inspired by somebody so now you're a writer so it's, it's kind of the same idea it's kind of cool you know kind of a pay it forward type of thing so here we are but uh you know uh, one more time, in case somebody didn't watch episode one, um, where can someone find you if they have more information about your stuff? 
Sure. Uh, website is just my name, andrewclausen.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, BookBub, you know, the usual places. So it just, uh, it's pretty easily to find, pretty easy to find, you know, so go out there, take a look and everything's available. But thank you. I've really, you know, this has been awesome. I, appreciate it. I always enjoy chatting with you, Matt. I don't know what my phone just freaked out. Sorry. I'm using my camera as my phone and it just freaked out. Sorry about that. But uh, yes, no, uh, I, I really do appreciate you coming back on. I'm, I'm always thrilled to talk to you again. Um, if anybody has any questions, uh, they can find us uh, as far as the show is concerned, real life fiction. Uh, we are on YouTube. We're on uh, all major podcasts at podcast apps. Uh, still working on getting uh, on Apple, although there is a hack to get into Apple. Um, if you download the RSS feed for this uh, podcast, which I is on my website, mattjamesalter.com, and is uh, I send it on at Facebook, uh, you can. There's three little dots at the top of your Amazon podcast app. If you click on that, there's something I think you can search or add uh, feed. I think is what it's called. You copy and paste that feed into your phone, and it will load the real life fiction podcast onto your Apple device onto your Apple Podcasts. Um, because we haven't been approved, our show isn't searchable, but it is there. It's actually on Apple. It's just not published on Apple yet. So, but we are on Audible, which I think is really cool that Audible has uh, podcasts. So that's great. Um, we are on Spotify. We're everywhere else. You can listen to it audio on my website. If you go at jamesauthor.com, click on the podcast uh, link. Uh, on my page, you can listen to all the audio of all of these podcasts on physically on my page. Like hit the play button, it'll play. So. Not that you're going to walk around with that plane in your pocket, but if you're at home and you want to resource, you can do that on my website as well. Um, you can find me on my website, uh, conundrumpub.com. I got too many, too many feeds, too many socials, too many websites. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving and shaking over here. I'm all over Facebook at my personal page, matching's author page, uh, the real life fiction page. Um, but any questions, just, just Google me, uh, you'll, you'll figure out a way to get a hold of me. I got uh, resources out the wazoo, but, uh, thanks again, Andrew, for coming on. Um, and, uh, we will talk to you again shortly. Thank you.